Good morning, Grace Life Church, and welcome to another edition of Grace Life Church Live, brought to you by God, <laughs> and on YouTube Live and on Facebook Live. Uh, coming at you from the Hendricks home this morning. Thank you again, Chris and Diane, for your amazing hospitality and for meeting a need that we've had because we have to do this. We have to do this service live from somewhere, and this has been uh, an amazing gift to us. This house, this living room. And we're doing some things a lot simpler today. So I'm hoping that you guys are seeing us and hearing us loud and clear and that there's no uh, technological difficulties. But if there is, your comments help us to figure those out and try try and do as, as good of a job as we can with troubleshooting. So uh, we're, I'm gonna ask you to interact a little bit later before I preach today. But if you guys are, are having any trouble hearing us or seeing us, let us know. We're using a little bit of a different microphone setup for some people that have expressed some trouble hearing on Facebook Live. So I hope that this is better for everybody. I'm gonna read a verse before Kyle comes to lead us in worship. Um, but what we've done in the past is we have this tradi traditional grace life welcome and it goes something like this. Um, to those who are weak and need strength, to those who are sinful and need a savior, to those who are hungry, hungry and thirsty for the word of God and for the peace of Jesus Christ, for those that are weary and exhausted and need rest, they need an oasis, and to people who are just feeling this disconnection right now and they need fellowship. Uh, and if there's any other needs that you have, then Grace Life Church opens wide her doors and, and bids you welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you came and tuned in and logged in uh, to, to be with us this morning. I want to read a verse from Isaiah chapter 55. This is another kind of greeting, and this is what it says. Isaiah 55 in the Old Testament says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together as best we can, whether it's digitally or, or people watching together uh, in their household, however big or small it is, or people like us, just a few, gather together to live stream. I pray for all the churches this morning proclaiming your word, your gospel. May Jesus be um, much clearer for them and to them today after the message. May the word of God take on a new place of priority and importance in their life. And may you just meet us where we're at, Lord. May the real us meet the real you and be changed forever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And Kyle, I wanna thank you, man. And TJ and all the other people, Chris, those who have played a, a role in Leading us in, in worship music is so important, and I'm thankful that even though we're doing live streaming right now, we still wanted to, to opt into doing worship, um, and so thank you for doing that so diligently and faithfully every week. Come and lead us, man. And you guys have a, you should have a link somewhere on our website to download the lyrics for these, for these songs that we're going to sing, so... Amen. Well, feel free to stand wherever you're at watching the service, and uh, let's praise our, our Savior this morning.
your love on this paper all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have everyone
starting with verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from evil. Excuse me. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. And do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Amen. Thank you, Kyle, and thank you, Diane. Appreciate that. Well, guys, listen, this is not gonna count for my sermon time today, okay? I'm going to do something a little bit different because I think if my calculations are correct, this is either the sixth or the seventh Sunday in a row that we have live streamed. And uh, it, it puts me in mind, this whole thing puts me in mind of, of uh, Charles Dickens' novel that he wrote um, called A Tale of Two Cities. And it's, it's the setting of that book, if you, know, if you don't know, is the French Revolution. And there's a famous opening line where he says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And I think that could be said for this time right now. God is showing us a lot of things that are helpful about ourselves. He's given us a lot of clarity. Maybe some idols are clashing 
and he's exposing those so we can put those to death and, and do what the Bible tells us to do. But there's also a lot of grief right now. A lot of people are anxious or apprehensive. A lot of people are facing financial hardships. Some people even are in our own church uh, have lost parents to this disease. And so we grieve with them. We're supposed to do that. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, it's the best of times. It's the worst of times. But since this is our sixth or seventh week of live streaming, God has shown me something, how much I love being with you face to face. I know I've quoted the apostle Paul and the apostle John several times in the new Testament letters. They've said that very thing. I'm writing to you on ink, but I long to be with you. I feel like I've been torn away from you and I long for that man. And, and I just want to be so real and transparent and maybe even vulnerable today and tell you, this is hard. <laughs> I'm, and I'm not complaining. What I mean is it's really challenging for me to preach to a camera, to a screen because God has shown me how much I feed on your energy. I don't, there's there's really no way to articulate it other than preaching and, and being with people together, singing with people, praying together. There's no substitute. There really is no substitute. That's why God's word says, don't forsake this when you're able to do it. And maybe that's what we're going to come out of this with a stronger conviction about is how we need one another, how we need community and how God really does do something unique and special and significant when we're together that can't fully, we can't fully experience it like this, even though I'm thankful for the technology. So I thought before I preached, this may seem a little bit odd to you, but maybe we could have a little howdy duty time here and a greeting. I don't think that that will ever look the same when churches regather for those churches that said, everyone stand to your feet and shake somebody's hand and hug somebody. That ain't going to happen for, for a while, probably for good reason. But if you're watching either on YouTube or on FaceTime and you're able just, and I feel so weird doing this, but just send a greeting, say hello. Uh, where are you watching from? What's it like there? And maybe we can spend the first couple of uh, couple of minutes here just greeting one another, so we can kind of feel human again and normal. Um, I can see the I can see the YouTube comments, but I can't see the FaceTime. It's going to be behind me. So Mark Mailing, hello, my friend, miss you, Joe. The mic doesn't it's not working well. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably reading something I'm not supposed to read out loud. Um, let me try. Brandon Abbey. Let me try this. I'm going to move this microphone up here. And maybe that works a little bit better. Hello from the Amadors. Amadors, welcome. Guys, good to see you. Um, Happy Sunday from Fran and Araceli. Uh, Linda, very good to see you. Joe and Steve and Mark. Um, the Trues. Terry and, and yes, true, the True family. Good to see you guys. <laughs> this is great, guys. This makes me feel like a human again. How's the mic? Is the mic working a little bit better? I've moved it a little bit. Hopefully. Hello from Foden. All right, Foden. Good to, good to hear from you. Man, I miss all you guys. And you know what? Diane and Chris are so amazing. She actually, I wish I, I, wish I could, but I'll mess up our, our setup. She printed out the faces of some of the people in our congregation, uh, selfies that they took. And so I'm actually looking at a lot of you who are commenting. Who are, this thing's just really hard, isn't it? Oh, this is from your wife. She says, hi, honey. Oh, hey, hey, babe. Good to see you, too. Yeah, they're coming through. Uh, Araceli, good. Miss you, too. Okay, Mike's working great. Melissa, good to see you. Um, yeah, thank God for technology. Well, guys, thank you so much. It's good to hear from you. And you know what? I would love to keep hearing from you. 
Uh, if you go to our website and you want to reach out and ask a question, request prayer, or even if you have a financial hardship right now, we have a benevolence ministry that we filter that through one of our elders. Um, you can go to our website, www.gracelifeflorida.com, and there's a contact us. If you need help right now, if you need counseling, Melissa Appalter uh, is a trained, competent, skilled biblical counselor who represents Fieldstone, and she's doing remote counseling right now. Thankfully, this technology uh, is keeping that ministry up and running, and you can go to our website, and there's, a, I think it's resources, and it's get help, or you can go to the Fieldstone um, webpage to contact her. Uh, Dave, good to see you, my friend. Hello from Charles. Padilla's. Charles, good to hear from you. Julio, Marianne. Julio, Marianne. We miss you guys too. Um, good morning from the Brower family. All right, Brower family. Well, I hope this simple setup is working for you guys. It's so good to know that you really are out there in cyberspace somewhere um, in your living room and uh, or on your couch or in your PJs eating popcorn, drinking your coffee. Um, thank you for that. That means I feel human again. Hello from Matt, Lindsay, and the kids. Good to see you guys, too, my neighbors. And the Blairs. Hey, Tommy, we miss you, too. Can't wait to get together. All right. Same here, guys. Same here. As far away as Aster, uh, Angela Nieves is watching from Georgia, my family in Arkansas. So isn't this, isn't this amazing, like, real time? I, I know it's one thing if you record it and then you post it later, but we're right here right now together. Uh, we're going to take a look at God's Word. So thank you for all the comments. Let me feel human again this morning. And thank you for printing out. I see all your faces over here. Keep sending them. Yeah. Send me more. I'll decorate the whole house with your faces. All right. This is awesome. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and get started, guys. We're going to be in uh, Psalm 119. If you want to follow along, I'm going to pray before we start here. Heavenly Father, thank you for all these people that we feel connected to now, just seeing their name come up in a, in a thread, comment, feed, or just makes me just reminisce on the times that we were able to gather together in person. It seems like so long ago. Um, it's only been a couple of months. I pray for this morning. Help us to focus our attention now on your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, send your Holy Spirit to come and fill our hearts and our minds to illuminate the truth to us, to show us the wonderful things that we know are contained in your word. We know they're there. We need your help to see them to, to taste them, to digest them, Lord, to, to get to understand them more deeply so that you will maximize our joy and help us to obey you and follow you and fight against the sinful habits, Lord, that, that so ensnare us um, and help us to see, most importantly, Christ, his saving work on the cross, his resurrection power, your spirit being sent to empower us for ministry and to equip us by your word. And so be with us now, remove any distractions, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Psalm 119. Recently, I listened to a podcast by two pastors who I trust and I admire, and I have greatly benefited from their ministry, from their writing, from their preaching, their leadership. Uh, and they are both in the twilight years of their ministry. Uh, they're, you may say semi-retired. They still preach, but mostly they're writing, they're investing in church planners like me. And so uh, I was listening to a podcast. Two, they weren't together. They were separate. Um, but they were being interviewed by a person who asked them this question, two different interviewers interviewing two different pastors. And by the way, none of these men uh, are heretics. Obviously, I wouldn't be following them. None of them have ever been caught up in, in any type of scandal or anything like that. So I trust them and, and I 
I care to listen to what they're saying about questions for life and ministry and preaching. So their interviewer asked him this question. He said, what would you say to your 20 year old self right now if you could? That's a great question, isn't it? What would you say to your 20 year old self right now if you could? And you can keep in mind, both of these men, not only were they preachers and pastors, they were dads, they were husbands, they were grandpas, um, they were writers. Um, they had a lot going on for them other than just being leaders in ministry. So I was especially interested to hear uh, what their answer would be. I mean, what would it be? Would they say, yeah, listen, invest in a really good 401k, 20-year-old self, or maybe even invest in toilet paper stock right now, right? Who knew? Or maybe they would tell you, don't work so late. Date your wife every week. Love your kids. Come home early. Read C.S. Lewis. Join the YMCA and go every day. Um, don't be so hard on yourself. Rest. What would their answer be? What would you say to your 20-year-old self if you could? And here's what was so interesting and striking to me. Both of those men, different interviewers, different denominations, different cultural context, different cities in the United States, both of their answers were almost identical. Here's what they said. Um, I'm going to read for you what they said. Here's the first one. He said, I would say to my 20-year-old self, self, you have no idea how important meditation, prayer, and mortification are. Now, mortification is just a fancy word, and it means to weaken habits and patterns that lead you to disobedience and sin, okay? It means to, it's a term that means to kill. So the first pastor said, 20-year-old self, you have no idea how critical, how important meditating on the word of God, prayer, and mortification are. And here's what the other pastor said. He said, I would say to my 20-year-old self, Self, resolve to read your Bible every day over exercise, food, and romance. Resolve to read your Bible in such a way that you push through superficial understandings and you possess a deep and abiding understanding of the Word of God. I thought that that was really interesting because if you combine both of their answers, they're saying the same thing. They're just articulating it differently. Here's what they're saying. Meditate on God's Word every day so that your understanding is deepened so that your joy is heightened or maximized and so that those sinful patterns in your life are weakened and put to death isn't that interesting meditate on god's word every single day and i'll add this caveat the first pastor said this he said i wouldn't waste my breath telling my 20 year old self anything because as we all know, my 20-year-old self, and then he said, and my 30-year-old self, and my 40-year-old self, they all had to discover that desperation for themselves. And man, don't we all know that? I mean, can you really say anything to a 20-year-old kid? <laughs> right? No, not really. They're going to have to discover their own desperation. And you and I are too. Maybe you have. Maybe you've already, you've already discovered that for yourself. But I will tell you this. I don't need a ghost from my future to come back and tell me that, even though I agree with what those men said. Because God has already said that to us in his word. And he said it all over the place. And that section in Psalm 119 that Diana just read is a really saturated place where, where the psalmist, and I think it's David. We don't know the author of the psalm, as it doesn't say. But it sounds a lot like David. He uses a lot of the same analogies and phrases that he does in other psalms that we know that he wrote. But he's saying the same thing. Um, he's saying the same thing in that passage. He's telling us, meditate on God's word so that your understanding is deepened, so that your joy is heightened, and so that you weaken sinful habits and keep your feet from evil. That's what he's saying there. Um, 
And I, I just love that. So I want to read the very beginning of this section again, and then uh, I want to jump into kind of an outline. And I hope the outline doesn't feel forced. This is a song that's not like most songs. It's not telling you a story. This entire song is just one extended celebration of the benefits and the value of God's word. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, one author, and all he's doing is praising and celebrating God's word. You might think, man, what the heck? Did this Israelite get, was, was there a pandemic and he was in lockdown and he was just like, I don't know what else I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna, 176 verses. No, this was his life. This psalmist took serious what Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, for this is not an idle word for you. This is your very life. And here's what's really interesting to me. Whenever you're reading the psalmist, celebrate the joy and the value of God's word. Keep in mind, they only had the Pentateuch. They only had the first five books of the Bible, the first five. I mean, we find it challenging and we've got all 66 books. They had just a very small part of the Old Testament scrolls. They had, they had, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Maybe they had Joshua and Judges. Not totally sure on that historically. But what they did have, man, did they use it and they celebrated it and they took it serious. And they were always ruminating and meditating on it and letting it just provide the, the, the understanding and the clarity and the filter they needed to understand and interpret the world. So let me read the very first part of this again. The psalmist starts out this way. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then the very last part of this section, verse 104 says this. He says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So it's interesting to me, if you pay attention here, he starts out with, I love your law. I meditate it. I meditate on it all day. So I love your law. I meditated on it all day. And then at the very end, he says, and because I do that, I get understanding and I hate every false way. So are you seeing the contrast there? He starts out, I love everything you've revealed and I hate everything that sin leads me to do. So there's this love hate analogy here. And that's interesting to me because I want that. Don't you want that? I mean, what the psalmist is really saying is I love everything about God. I love it. I celebrate it. I rejoice in it. I welcome it. He's delighting in God's will because that's what the Bible shows you. It shows you this is what God loves. This is what God is passionate about. This is what he scorns. This is what he detests. This is what he is trying to protect you from. So we're all after that. We're all trying to discover that for, for ourselves. And so this little section in Psalm 119 is, is, is bookmarked with the beginning and the end is I love everything about God and I hate every false way. And I think in the middle is like this secret pattern for how you can have that too. You don't have to have the ghost from your future coming back and telling you that because the, the author, I think David here, he's telling you how you can have the same thing that the psalmist has. And uh, if you're following the sermon visuals that, that Megan provided a link for, there's basically four points I want to make and we're going to go through these quick, okay? It's meditation leads to understanding and that's going to lead you to action and that is going to lead you to uh, the fourth one that I can't remember. Satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> so meditation leads to understanding, leads to action, and it leads to satisfaction. So that's going to be our outline this morning. How do you love the true and the beautiful things about God? And how do you hate everything that's false and deceptive? And by the way, just to maybe a caveat here, a little Hebrew nugget. Okay. That word for hate. Sometimes we're like, eh. 
That's the same word for hate that God uses in places in the Old Testament, um, like Malachi, where he says, I hate divorce. That's the same word there. It means to scorn or to detest. It's the same word that God uses in Isaiah 1 when he says, look, the hypocrisy of all of your religious gatherings where you're, you're keeping these festivals and these feasts, but you're living life like totally on, a, on, a, on an agnostic or an atheistic level. He says, I hate that. I hate those feasts. I hate those festivals. I hate your religious hypocrisy. Same word. And when he says, uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, it's the same word there that the psalmist uses here. He's saying, I hate everything false. I hate every false way. Everything that's deceptive and untrue, I hate that. And he gets that because he's been meditating on God's word, which means he's been thinking deeply about it. When you think deeply and intently about something, it leads to deep emotional and, 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 and healthy feelings about it. So he started out loving and meditating on God's word and he, and he ended with, man, I hate and I scorn and I detest the things that God detests and hate. So that's, that's where we're starting from here. So let's, let's talk about this. The first thing is meditation. And I think a lot of people probably get confused about what that is. What does it mean to meditate? It doesn't mean to just empty your mind, okay? The, the Eastern mystics, uh, they use meditation in that way. If, if you wanna take, if you wanna redeem something about that, I would say this, it's emptying your mind of distractions. That's what meditation is. That's where you start. You empty your mind of things that don't need to be there. But meditation is about stuffing your mind full of something. That's really what it is. Uh, and the analogy I would use is like a tea bag that you're going, if you're going to make tea, if, you, if you're a tea lover, maybe even you're English, all right, tea time. And you take the tea bag and you put it in the scalding hot water. If you just dip that tea bag in for two or three seconds and then you drink your tea, it's going to be an unpleasant experience. You're not going to get the medicine and the nourishing, maybe they're not nourishing, but I don't know, the caffeine, okay? You're not going to get the good, wholesome stuff that, 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 that the, the tea leaves are meant to give you. What do you do? Man, you put, you put the tea bag in the scalding hot water and you let it steep. You let it marinate, I guess. You, you let it saturate. The water like moves in there and it's drawing out, pulling out all these properties from the tea so that it's going to give you maximum benefit. Or if you're a, a grill master, okay, and you make all these amazing steaks, what do you do with that meat before you cook it? You put it in like some zesty Italian <laughs> Cheap, the cheap Publix brand, right? And you marinate, you seal it in a zip bag and you put it in your fridge, you let it marinate. Why? So that all the best properties of that, of that sauce is gonna, it's going to saturate the meat and give it flavor and enhance it. Um, I actually love making salsa. I love it. I made a big batch of it last night and there's like some simple ingredients I use. Some of them are secret. I'm not gonna give you all of them, okay? This, one day if this church plant thing tanks, this is gonna be my redeeming. <laughs> I'm going to sell this stuff. But there's like tomatoes and garlic and jalapeno peppers and cilantro. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. And when I make salsa and I stir it all together and I let my family try it, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Right. But when I, when I mix it all together and I cover it up in an enclosed container and I put it in my refrigerator and I stir it and I, I let all those ingredients wed together, right? And they're, they're like feeding off of one another. The flavor, it's dancing around. It's doing magic in there. It's doing things I don't know what it's doing. But I know this, my salsa, 24 hours after I make it and I put it in the refrigerator and I try it on a chip, oh my goodness, man. It's like night and day difference. Why? 
because you, I guess you could say all those ingredients are like meditate, they're marinating, they're saturating, and they're, they're enhancing one another's flavor. And I believe that's what the psalmist has in mind here when he's talking about meditating. The, the word meditate in Hebrew, it means to mutter quietly to yourself, right? <laughs> it's, it's you are actually speaking the word of God, not to somebody else. You're speaking it to yourself. You are taking the word of God and you are reflecting so deeply on it. You're speaking it out loud so that all these properties and these qualities are getting into your mind and they're settling down into your heart and they're going to do the work that they're not going to do otherwise. If you just take the word of God and you dip it like a tea bag, bam, you got your little two minute devotion. And look, any devotion is better than none. Okay. I'm not going to mock that. We all got to start somewhere. There's going to, there's got to be, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. There's got to be an entry ramp on how do you expose yourself to more of the Bible. Okay. Start small. That's a good rule for anything you want to do better. But if that's where you stay, you're not really probably engaging in the kind of meditation that the psalmist is inviting us to do here because you need that tea bag to steep, man. You need to let it dominate and saturate and your, your mind and your heart. That's what meditation really means. And you know what? This is not the only place in the Bible that that word meditate is used. It's used all over the place. Probably the one you're most familiar with. And it's interesting that it's the very first Psalm, Psalm chapter one, and it's about the blessed man. What does it say? Blessed is the man or the woman who, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, um, stands not in the way of the sinner, sits not in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of God. And in his law, he or she meditates day and night. So you got that, but don't stop there because what the psalmist says next is pretty radical. So this psalmist is not standing or walking or sitting with sinners. No, he's got a different delight. Something else has captured his heart and it is God's law. And he is meditating in God's law day and night. And then it says this, he shall be like, and I love analogies. You remember what Psalm 1 says? The person, the blessed man or the blessed woman who's meditating in God's law, delighting in it day and night, he or she shall be like a tree planted by the river's edge, planted by the water, right? Uh, whose leaves don't wilt, okay? But they, they produce their fruit in due season. That's a beautiful analogy. What is the person who meditates? What's it like? Well, if you plant a tree next to water, do you know those roots are going so deep that they're always constantly absorbing? Maybe that's a better word for what it means to meditate. You are so close, so immersed in something that you're actually absorbing the properties from it, like that tea bag. So no matter what the weather's like, maybe there's a famine, maybe there's a drought for months and all the other plants that are away from the water, they're wilting, they're dried up, they're dying, but not this tree. It's been planted right next to the river's edge and it's always, these roots are always absorbing this water. And so what's that tree like? What's this person like that meditates? Well, there's stability, you're strong, okay? You're gonna be stable, you're gonna be anchored. The, the wind's not gonna blow you over because your roots are are deep and they're strong, but also beyond that, you're going to thrive. You're going to flourish. You're not going to wilt. You're actually going to be healthy and green. You've got life and all because that medicine is coming up through the roots. The water's coming up through the roots. So whether it rains or not, doesn't matter, dude, because you got the you got the water from the river and it's fresh and it's feeding you and you're drinking it. And 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 beyond that, it's producing fruit in your life. That's, that's the most amazing thing about that song. The person who meditates, there's going to be a type of fruit. You're going to actually produce something. 
This meditation doesn't make you so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, not at all. The person who meditates and ponders God's word, they're gonna be fruitful. You're gonna be fruitful. And then it, the Bible says everything he does will be successful. And that's not a, a gospel uh, prosperity type of promise. That you're gonna be wealthy, you're gonna be healthy. No, it's saying in spite of those things, you're gonna be okay, right? You're gonna have a grip on life because you're gonna know God. So that's what it really means to meditate. It's to like marinate, it's to ruminate, it's, it's to mutter, it's to ponder deeply God's word uh, in such a way that it leads to these other things. And I just think it's amazing. You say, well, you know what, man, that, that, sounds, that sounds hard and that sounds time consuming. It sounds like a big commitment. Yes, it, it is. It does. Amen to all those things. But I want to tell you something. God's word, all the analogies that it uses for itself and the things that it promises that it will do are pretty staggering and astonishing when you consider them. And listen, no other book, no other document, no other source in all the world can make the boast that this does. Do you guys remember if, if uh, whether you're young or old, or maybe you're doing it right now, you had to fill out a job application. And I've just always hated those. I hate those because they ask you all these awkward questions that you'd rather not talk about. You know, things like, uh, what's your greatest strength? Um, what can you contribute to our company or our business or organization? And then they ask you, what's your weakness? I mean, who wants to, who wants to talk about themselves? I was always told that that's sinful and that's rude because it's gloating, right? Let the tongue of another flatter you and not your own kind of idea, right? But did you know that, that there's an exception when it comes to the Bible because the Bible talks about itself and it makes all these audacious claims and, 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 when I think about what does the Bible say about itself, it always uses analogies because God stoops to our level in the sense that he knows we need word pictures. We need help understanding the, the beauty, the power, and the value of God's word. So the Bible says some things about itself that's going to invite us to meditate more deeply. Did you know that the Bible calls itself a hammer? It calls itself a hammer because it smashes false ideas. It's, it smashes false ideologies about ourselves, about God, about others, about life. It calls itself uh, a rock because it, it provides a foundation that you can build your life on that's not going to be uh, damaged or destroyed or in danger of the storms when they come or the wind. Um, it calls itself milk. I mean, what other document could say, I'm a, I'm a hammer, I smash things that are bad. I'm a rock, I provide stability and a foundation, and I'm milk. What? <laughs> well, milk, listen, milk is nourishing, right? Babies without milk don't do well. They need that to grow and to thrive. Uh, the Bible also says that it's a sword that like lays us open and does like divine surgery on us. Not like a broadsword. The word is actually a short six inch like surgical instrument that Hebrews chapter four says that the word of God is living and it's active. There's a word uh, energos. It, it means energy in English. It's like it's, it's crawling. It's alive. It moves. It's mobile. It's like doing things. It's actively at work in your heart. Only the Bible can make that claim for itself. So it's like a sword or a knife, a dagger. It's like a hammer. It's like a rock. The Bible says it's like fire. It purges, it purifies, it burns off the dross. It says it's a mirror. The Bible is a mirror and it will show you, my friend, the Bible will give you the only undistorted, embellished, untouched, unairbrushed version of yourself so you can really see where the flaws are so that you can put not the makeup on, but you can like take those to God and say, help me, I need help here. So it's like milk, hammer, a sword. It's like bread, it nourishes you, it feeds you, it strengthens you. 
All those things, all those claims that the Bible makes about itself are just amazing, aren't they? Uh, and there's and there's so many more. It's like a seed. You plant this deep in your heart, and one day it's going to germinate and give life and produce things. So I know that I'm missing some analogies. So maybe you can share in the uh, in the contacts. What are some analogies that have been helpful to you that the Word of God refers to itself by? Uh, what does it call itself? Um, water. Uh, here's one more. I got one more for you. Okay, the Word of God. I think in the Book of Amos it calls itself a plumb line. That's a word you don't hear much anymore. You know what the modern translation would be? A level. If you're a carpenter or have done construction, then you know what I'm talking about. Amos is saying that God's word is like a plumb line. And a plumb line in the Old Testament, and some people still actually do this, you can buy a plumb line at a hardware store. And it's simply a, a, a string with a heavy weight with a point at the bottom. And when there's no wind, like in, a, in an airless environment, that will truly tell you what is up and what's down. It will perfectly make your, your post for a fence or a deck, whatever you're making, it'll make it perfectly level. Like God's word is the true standard. It's the true North Star. It's the true center of gravity. If you're, if you're a surveyor, it's like the benchmark. It's, it's what you weigh everything else against. I was a carpenter once upon a time, and I had a level, and I, I paid $48 for this level at Lowe's. And that was a lot of money for me back then. It still is. And uh, man, it was the best that money could buy. And I used this level, man, to build decks, to build fences, to build houses, all kinds of things. And I would always test it when I would go to Lowe's. You could get another level and make sure it's still accurate. And I remember I got out of that practice for some reason, and I had gone months, and I had built fences. I had built decks. I mean, I was building things that were important. They were expensive. And then one day I thought, you know what? I need to test this level. And I was at Lowe's, and I grabbed another level, and I realized how off my level was because it was in the back of my truck and my toolbox and then they got dinged and dang and, and dinged up and bumped against and man just the, the shock and the fear hit me i have been building things and charging people for things and i've been using a level that's off it's not accurate and i can't think of a better description for god's word because everybody has a plumb line i'm telling you right now everybody that's watching this and listening to this right now, you have a plumb line for your life. There is some type of standard that you follow. Maybe it's your heart, right? Just follow your heart. Well, I got news for you. That level is way off kilter, right? You need a true plumb line to take whatever measurement device that you're using and get it accurate. You got to feed it the right data. And the Bible says, I'm the only true North star. And you don't, you don't ever have to, you don't ever have to correct me. The Bible actually corrects you. It's the only book that when you read it, it actually reads you. You may think that you're pouring over the Bible, you're criticizing the Bible, you're analyzing the Bible, and you're trying to understand the Bible, but did you know that the Bible does that to you? It, ha it has like divine eyes. It sees you, it lays you open, it analyzes and pours over you, and no other book can make that boast. And that's why that it's important for us to meditate, for us to contemplate deeply the meaning of the Bible so that it leads to stability, so that it leads to fruitfulness. One, one guy that I was reading said this. He said, meditation is what gives you stability, peace, and courage in times of great difficulty, adversity, and upheaval. It helps you stay rooted in divine water when all the other sources of moisture, of joy, of hope, and of strength dry up. And, you know, going back to Psalm 1 for a minute, uh, I know we're just, we're in Psalm 119, the very first verse, I meditate on, on your law, I love your law. But go back to Psalm 1, you know, it, 
it contrasts that tree planted by the, the river's water with chafe, which is like this dry hole uh, from, from, from a seed that was once beneficial. And it says the chafe gets blown away. And I don't know, if you, if you want to think about this analogy, somebody who has not given themselves to the, to the practice, the spiritual discipline of meditating on scripture, they're going to be compared to by the Bible chafe and the bible says that the wind blows it away and, and i would just ask you a question if you want to do a diagnostic test are you really easily moved by things and and driven by things um and just an impulsive person you know that's not a good trait to have my friend <laughs> it's the difference between a tree planted by the water and a piece of shape is like mobility this tree ain't going nowhere you can kick it you can push it you can have five kids that climb it up in its branches. It ain't moving. It's anchored deeply. But chafe, it's so easily moved. Why? It's just skimmed the Bible. It just did a two-minute devo, right? It has no deeply penetrating insight or understanding or clarity. And so guess what? It's going to be moved all over the place. When the winds of a pandemic come or when financial uncertainty come or when relational conflict comes, you're going to be driven and moved all over the place. You know, what can move chafe? I don't know. A lizard can move it. A kid with a stick, you know, a, a, an economic prediction that's unfavorable. You're like moved all over the place and you're shakable ultimately. But the word of God, when you take that into your mind and your heart and your life, it's going to provide and produce in you not only fruitfulness, but the stability that's going to help you weather a pandemic like this. You know, I know every sermon we're, we're applying it to the pandemic, but that's just because we're, that's where we're at right now. So that was the first point is meditation. And what does it lead to? We'll look at the next verse here. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then check this out, man. This is amazing. Verses 98, 99, and 100. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Do you hear this? If, 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 you're not, if you're not careful and you're not reading this very deeply, this is going to sound like a boast. If David is writing this, it sounds like he's arrogant. He's like, you know what, man? I've memorized so much scripture. Like, forget my teachers. Forget my enemies. Forget the elderly. I got this down pat, man. I know what life is all about. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, because I have meditated on God's word, it has provided me with clarity and has deepened my understanding of myself, of God, of the world, and of others. And therefore, here's all he's saying. He's saying, I have an edge. I have a, my, my football coach used to say, we would do sprints. We would do long, monotonous sprints at the end of every practice. We were already just dog tired. And he would say, all right, everybody, it's time for the winning edge. That's what he called it. In other words, if we do all these sprints and condition ourselves, we're going to have an advantage and an edge over our opponents. They're going to be weary. They're going to be tired in the fourth quarter. We're going to have the winning edge. I think that's what David or whoever wrote this song is saying. In fact, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version, uh, I love what he said. He said, your commandments give me an edge. I have an advantage because I am understanding life from God's perspective, when the world is not. And I just got to be honest, guys, being like totally honest today, okay? Not that I lie every other Sunday, but <laughs> just moment of transparency here. And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant because we are, all of us are interpreters. 
You're an interpreter if you're watching this and listening. You're even interpreting my, my sermon right now. You don't even know it, right? We gather and collect data and we process it and spit, we spit out an interpretation. It doesn't matter if you're a toddler or if you're a teacher at Harvard. You are an interpreter. God made you that way. And the data is coming at us so fast right now during a pandemic. No, depending on what source you consult, right? We're all consulting probably different sources to figure out the latest updates and statistics. You have an interpretation about all of this. Some people may think this is the end of the world. Some people are hating government officials. Some people are hating the Chinese country saying they should have given us fair warning or government should have acted sooner. Some people are hating uh, WHO, the World Health Organization. And I'm serious, man. People's opinions and interpretations are all over the map. And I'm not going to comment on whether they're right or wrong, but I will say this. If you are meditating on God's word, it's going to give you a deeper understanding and a more trustworthy and confident um, appraisal of what's really going on. You can go beneath the surface and you can be reminded, why do we have a virus right now? Where did this thing come from? Well, the Bible tells us that sin entered the world. And that through sin, death came and that the whole earth experienced a curse, right? And so now guess what? We, we have thorns. When we go to work, it's by the sweat of our brow and it's hard and there's conflict in relationships. And this planet has been, has been plunged into a state of, of curse. And that means there's virus and there's germs that can kill you. And I know where this thing came from, whether it was cooked up in a lab by somebody in China or whether it came naturally from the environment, I know that sin either directly or indirectly caused this. I know that. I have an understanding that honestly, some of the people out there, if you want to call them your enemies, <laughs> I, have an under, I have an edge on this, man. I get it. I get it. And, and you know what? I know also that one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to restore this planet. He's going to right every wrong. And if somebody did cook this up in a lab and unleash it on the world, they're going to give an account for that. I know that. That gives me an advantage. That gives me like a settled confidence. <clears throat> I hope that makes sense to you. I, I, I want to show this to you actually from the book of Acts. And I know I'm jumping around a little bit today with the Bible, but I'm doing this to help illustrate. If you read just the first four chapters of the book of Acts, it's amazing to me because what you find there are 11 or 12, 12 now that Judas has been replaced, Judas, uh, Judas is carried who betrayed God. <clears throat> you find uneducated men, okay? They weren't rabbis. They weren't priests. They weren't professionals. Uh, they didn't get a paycheck. They were just uneducated men that Jesus handpicked all of them to be his disciples, to be his apostles, and to turn the world upside down, right? And before, these men were afraid. They were confused. But then something changes. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and changes everything. But it's interesting to me, if you read that account in chapter two and following all the first four chapters, these men gain a clarity and, and their understanding of the world and themselves and what God is doing deepens. And I just want to read one passage to you um, from Acts chapter two. This is the day of Pentecost. I was reading this the other day and it just fascinated me. Acts chapter two. So this is what happened. I'm going to start in verse 6. It's the day of Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together 
there was this mighty sound of a rushing wind and they came together and they were bewildered. So everyone's bewildered because all these, the, the mighty sound of rushing wind and men and women speaking in a language that they didn't learn, they didn't know, and other people who didn't speak or learn that language understand it. They're speaking in tongues. This is the day of Pentecost. And it says, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in his own native language? And then there's a long list of all the ethnicities and nations represented. Um, and in verse 12, again, it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are filled with new wine. So this is interesting. Something radical and amazing happened that had never happened before. And the adjectives that you find here are people were perplexed. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were bewildered. They were confused. And other people were making fun of it and were mocking it. Nobody knows what in the world is going on. And I see this all the time historically. Something radical and unprecedented happens and everyone's confused and bewildered and astonished and some people mock and make fun and don't take it serious. So what are we going to do? Well, check this out, man. Verse 14, it says, but Peter standing with the 11. So he's representing all of these uneducated men. Okay. Lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he reads this passage about the last day. Now, this is not a sermon on the day of Pentecost. That's for another time. But what's interesting to me and what stands out is that Peter is saying, why are you confused? Why are you astonished? Why are you bewildered? Why are you making fun of this? This is exactly what the word of God told us would happen. Now, I know there's a prophetic element there that this is what God said would happen. But even beyond that, if you keep reading through the first four chapters of the book of Acts, man, it's permeated with these uneducated men interpreting the events, historical events happening around them through the lens of Scripture. At one point in chapter four, they're thrown in jail, they're threatened, they're warned to not teach, and they're persecuted. And it says they went their way rejoicing uh, that they were kind of worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And when they got to their friends, it says they all together united in one accord, lifted up their voices, and they prayed. And they said, Lord, sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth, this is what you said through your servant David. And then they quote Psalm chapter two, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? It's just amazing to me, man, these uneducated men had a, a, a total comprehension, a deep understanding and a settled confidence when the world around them was just shaking. They were saying, this is exactly what God said would happen. And here's how we should respond. And if you read the, the rest of the book of Acts, this is what really stands out to me. Those men, because they meditated on scripture and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were able to understand it and apply it. They were able to faithfully live on mission. So a lot of people right now, a lot of Christians I'm seeing, they're so shaken and disturbed and torn. And I get it. Some of those emotions, uh, I understand the anxiety and the apprehension. Um, and at the same time, I think meditating on scripture is going to help you compose yourself in such a way, listen, compose yourself in such a way that you're going to be able to continually fulfill your mission because we are still the, the insiders for the outsiders. We are still supposed to be living as missionaries. And if we're abiding on God's word, 
We're going to have clarity on everything going on around us, and we're going to know how we should respond. Even if that means the government is telling you to do something you would rather not do. How are you supposed to respond to that? Well, if you're meditating on God's word, it tells you, hey, government is ordained by God. And here are the limitations of government. Here's the function of the government. See, you're going to have clarity and you're going to have understanding in a way that, quite honestly, a lot of other people are not. And again, I want to emphasize this. This is not so that you can become a jerk. Haven't we all met somebody that knew scripture inside and out and they were just jerks about it? They were arrogant. They were proud. And I would say, that, dude, you have not meditated. If you have a, just a knowledge of the Bible and, you, and you've memorized massive portions of it, you, but it hasn't settled and you haven't meditated on it and it hasn't settled in your heart, man, it can make you so off-putting to other people. And I think we've all people met people like that. Listen, what the author is talking about is not you being able to do a mic drop with the Bible. Every time somebody shares a problem or a struggle, and you're like, oh yeah, well, blah, 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 and you and you drop some scripture on them. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, I have an edge on my enemies and I'm going to shut them down. He's saying, I can still learn from my teachers. I can still respect the elderly. I can still admire some qualities about my enemy. I just have a deeper understanding than they do. That's all he's saying. So um, this gives you an understanding. William Tyndale is one of my favorite early reformers. And if you have an English copy of the Bible, you can thank God for that man because he's the one uh, who was actually strangulated, killed, and burned at the stake for the crime of, get this, translating the Greek New Testament into English. They burned him at the stake for that. But two things drove him to do that, okay? Two things. One was the, um, was the widespread ignorance of the clergy in his day. The, the, the priest and the pastors were so ignorant of the Bible. He was astonished at that. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that drove him was the common people didn't understand scripture. And so he was arguing with a priest one day. And he said this. He said, if God spares my life in just a few short years, the most common plowboy will know more of the scriptures than the priest. And you know what? Because of what he did, he was right. So when, when the Bible is calling us to meditate, it's not saying that you have to have a degree from Harvard or that you have to have a seminary degree to do it. All you have to have is a copy of the scripture in your own language uh, and a willing heart and a humble heart to pray and ask God to help you to do that. Um, that's what meditation is, and it leads, you, um, it leads you to a deeper understanding, but that's not all. It also leads you to what we're going to see in this next verse here. It also leads you to action. Okay, it leads you to action. Check this out. Look at verse 101. It says this, I hold back my feet from every false way. What does meditation lead you to? A deeper understanding, a clarity, uh, and it also leads you to action. Like you, you are actually going to be able to see God's commandments in their true light and know that they are good for you. God didn't give us commandments just to trip us up and and jack up our life. That's not why he gave it to us. God gave us commandments because it's good for us and it's how life works best. And when you're understanding that through meditation and through prayer, you're gonna see, you know what? That's a false way. I hate it. I wanna keep my feet from it because I know where it leads. I know what it's gonna introduce into my life. It's gonna introduce relational conflict. It's gonna take me away from God. It, it, it's going to take me down the pathway to death like Proverbs 5 talks about the adulterous woman. It's going to help you see in a way that you couldn't otherwise. Um, maybe a way to illustrate this is 
A few years ago, my wife and I heard this loud noise that startled us in our house. It wasn't the middle of the night, it was the middle of the day. And it sounded like it was coming from our garage and we went out there um, and it took us a long time to figure out what happened. Do you know if you have a garage door and it, it's not a manual opening, but it's a, a remote opening, there's these two really powerful, tightly wound up metal springs that cause that garage door to function the right way. One of them had busted and been like, bang! And it, and, it, and it shot and, and projectile and hit the garage door and made this loud noise. And so my wife and I are trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, this looks bad. This looks expensive. And the garage door is not going to work. So I was trying to be a good steward of our money and trying to be a good leader in my house. And my wife and I discussed it. I said, you know what? I think I can replace this. Let's order the right model and, and strand of this spring, this coil off of Amazon. And I'm going to get it and I'll put this thing on. I'll watch it. I'll do what every man does. I'll watch a YouTube video and I'll be an expert in five minutes, right? <laughs> so uh, so that's what I was going to do. We was going to order it. And, and the deeper that I studied it, I started seeing some warnings. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I should do this. This looks involved. So I called a man who came over right away. And he was an older gentleman. He had lived in Orlando all his life. And that's all he had ever done was install and replace these springs. His father started the business in the back in the 60s. When garage doors with these openers came into existence, he said, we were the only ones. And he said, I, have, I do this in my sleep. I've done this all the time. And I told him, I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to save me a ton of time. I was going to do this myself. And it was like full stop. Like, <laughs> he stopped what he was doing. He pushed his glasses up and he turned and he looked at me and he said, young man, you could have died trying to do that by yourself. And I was like, whoa, what? And he said, do you not realize how powerful these springs are that you were going to try to replace yourself? He said, I have people that I know and love in this business. They've died from trying to do that. Professionals. He said, I know people that have tried to do it, amateurs like you, and they've lost their hand. They've lost the." He said, there's so much torque, I guess, for lack of a better word, built up when you're trying to crank the spring. If you don't know what you're doing, it can kill you. And, and, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, my goodness, man. Thank God that he sent this guy and that he's going to do it the right way. And I'm a rookie. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. That could have killed me. And so... I can tell you this, never in my life, as long as I live, will I ever attempt, and neither should, maybe I'm saving somebody's life out there, you're welcome, okay, that's just, that's a freebie, part of the sermon here, I will never, as long as I live, ever try to replace one of those springs by myself, why, because man, I'm keeping my feet from that evil, that's dangerous, and that's deadly, and I'm never going to do it, right, um, and that word that we discovered earlier from that pastor, he talked about mortification, you know what that means? It means to weaken uh, habits in your life that lead you to sin. And that's what meditating can ultimately lead to. If you meditate, then your understanding is deepened. You get clarity. And then you are keeping your feet from evil, right? There's, there's, there's two-fold path here. First, it says, I hold back my feet from evil. But then in verse 102, it says, I do not turn aside from your rules. So you're saying, I'm not doing that. That's bad. That's dangerous. That's counterproductive. That's destructive. That's going to take me further away from God and, and take me closer to evil. But this path is good. And that's the path I want to take. That's the path to thriving, to flourishing, to obedience. That's God loving me enough to tell me, do this, don't do that. That's what ultimately meditation starts with. I think here's what we do. We try and start with this step and we forego the meditation. We forego the clarity. And that brings us to a place where this is just, I need to do this because I'm supposed to. And that doesn't work in life. I'm just telling you right now, for those of you that have tried to live your life at that super 
shallow, uh, shallow, superficial, um, lack of clarity, interpretation of the Bible. That's not gonna. That's not gonna last. You've got to go deeper and know there's a very good reason for this. There's a reason why this is good for you and that's bad for you. Um, John Bunyan wrote this on the cover of his Bible. You know, John Bunyan was the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And so the question is, is there anything in your life that has ever improved through neglect? <laughs> has anything ever gotten better with neglect? No, man, we're living in a fallen world and, and, and that's going to have an impact on even the study of the Bible. If you leave things alone, they tend toward greater and greater uh, chaos and disorder. That's the second law of thermodynamics, right? No, we need to get attention to this. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to do here. So hopefully you have never spent time reading your Bible and meditating and walked away thinking it was a waste of time because God always shows you something. So here, moving, moving faster, we're almost done, okay? Point number four is satisfaction. Meditation leads to understanding, leads to action, and then mixed up in all of that is understanding. And look at the last part, it's verse 103. Here's what he says. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And this is, I think, an analogy for just how savory the Bible is, right? Just, just um, it's interesting to me that the psalmist used honey uh, just for sweetness. Honey is one of the hardest things to explain to somebody that has never tasted it. I dare you to try and write a paragraph describing what honey tastes like to a stranger, a foreigner who's never tasted it. And yet so often in Psalms here and in Psalm, I think, 19, that's why I think this is probably David. That's one of his favorite analogies. He says, your word is like honey in Hebrew, he says, it's smoother to my palate than anything else. Your word is smoother to my palate. It's like, you see, I was made for this. And listen, it's not like a guilty delight, like sugar, like, you know, like that tastes so good. It tastes like a cream filled Dunkin' Donuts right on Sunday, uh, uh, Boston cream. He's not talking about, this is not something you have to regret or something you need to maybe repent of. This is like you were made to enjoy this. This is like true satisfaction. Like Jesus talked about the woman at the well in John 4, rivers of water like flowing out of you. This is, honey is one of the only sweet things that you can eat and it's actually good for you. Did you know that? Like my wife buys Manuka honey and not only can you eat it, I wouldn't recommend it. It's the most expensive honey in the world, but you're supposed to smear it like on your wounds and stuff. And I'm always trying to eat it. She's like, give me that. That's for your, you know, that's for your wounds. You're not supposed to eat that. But it's interesting to me that the psalmist used honey. Like honey can nourish you. And if you were starving, and in fact, David and Jonathan were starving in the wilderness back in the Old Testament. And it says they found a forest where honey was dripping from the trees. And Jonathan, he tasted this honey. He'd gone days without food and water, I guess. And he tasted this honey. It says his eyes became bright. So not only is honey sweet and tastes delicious, but honey is like able to revive you. And it's interesting to me that I think the psalmist is talking about satisfaction and abiding joy. This is, listen, it's not a bummer to read the Bible and discover, uh, you know, rules in the Bible. That's not legalism, man. That's common sense. That's good for you. That's what you were made for this. And that's what God is taking us to whenever we spend time in God's word. C.S. Lewis talked about the psalmist celebrating God's word and delighting in it. And Lewis said he had a really hard time understanding how 
he wrote this in reflection on the Psalms, if you want to read that, especially Psalm 119. He said, I have a hard time understanding how a person could write 176 verses celebrating something like rules. He said, to me, that's like celebrating the dentist instrument when you go get your teeth pulled. He said, I don't understand it. And then he tries his best to understand it, I think. But one of the things that I think Lewis is missing is you can delight in the law of God, even though you know that you fall so short of keeping it. If Jesus is like at the center of it, because Jesus is the only Israelite who ever came and truly meditated on God's law perfectly in a way that you and I don't. He wasn't distracted. He didn't give like a surface superficial uh, attention to it. He truly meditated and delighted in God's word. And you know, here's what's really interesting to me is that the Bible says that Jesus is the incarnate word. These are words on paper, black ink from God, right? But Jesus, it says in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and the word came and tabernacled. He dwelt among us. He made, he made this his abiding. So when we're meditating on scripture, this is so critical. You know, this psalmist, he only had the first five, six or seven books of the Bible. We have the whole thing and we know what the whole Bible is about. Like we have an edge even over this guy that wrote this song. He had an edge over his teachers. He had more wisdom uh, than his enemies. And he had a deeper understanding than the elderly. But we trump all of that because we have the, the, the express revelation of God's word as Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And here's the real danger. And I'm closing with this. The real danger is that you and I, can read the Bible and absolutely miss the central theme in it. You know that? Jesus said that in John 5 to his enemies. He said, you study the scripture for in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures are talking about me. Moses was writing about me. Abraham was writing about me. And he, he saw my day and he rejoiced in it. Um, the Bible is all about Jesus coming and fulfilling the law of God on our behalf, dying in our place, rising from the grave and inviting us to repent of our sins, to turn and come to him. If you are reading the Bible and you're not seeing Jesus as the central figure, you are missing it. And it's so easy to do that. And I'm sorry, honey, I know you're watching, but I don't want to embarrass you. But something funny happened uh, with my wife and I last week. And I got to tell you about it because it illustrates this, how you can just totally miss the meaning of something, okay? We were both hungry. It had been a long day. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to cook for the family, give my wife a break. And I love to cook hamburgers. And I don't always like to cook them outside. I cook skillet burgers. And I have to say they're pretty good. So I was cooking skillet burgers. And I told my wife, go in the living room, relax. I'm going to do this. I already made burgers for all the kids. And so I toasted these sesame seed, sesame seeded buns just to the right perfect texture of brownness in the toaster, right? I got out the mayo. I got out the ketchup. I sliced pickles, uh, mustard. I even sauteed some onions and put on there. It was amazing. And I don't know how in the world I did this, but I got so involved in putting the dressings on these buns that I took my wife's hamburger and I put the buns together and I put it on a plate and I gave it to her and she devoured this thing, man. Like there was hardly anything left. And then I walk back in the kitchen and lo and behold, the meat with the cheese on it is in the skillet on the stove. My wife had eaten a hamburger and had loved it. And friends, I'm telling you, honey, I'm sorry. There was no meat in it. There was no cheese. I mean, that's the whole point of a hamburger. You understand, right? She ate two pieces of bread that were toasted and had mayo and ketchup and mustard and, and onions and but no meat. And I think a lot of people read the Bible that way, man. It's just, they see it as a, as a book of rules. 
or like a bunch of heroes that were flawed and they totally missed like, man, this is pointing to Jesus. It's, it's, it's about the Messiah. He came and he died in our place. So I hope that you are able to meditate on God's word, to not miss the main point like my wife did, um, and to deepen your understanding and to find action and find true satisfaction and joy. And we're going to stop there and that's going to give us plenty to think about, okay? Let's pray and then I'm going to let Diane come and do our charge for the day. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, both written and incarnate. And I pray you would help everyone watching this, Lord. It would be very easy for people to feel condemnation and to feel guilt and to feel sadness and grief because none of us feel like we measure up when it comes to what the Bible tells us about itself and how it tells us to interact. But I pray, Lord, that that would be useful conviction for your Holy Spirit and it would drive us to ask for your help, Lord. Help us to start very small uh, incremental steps. Just take five, 10 minutes and just pick a passage and meditate as deeply on it as we can to reflect on it, to pray and ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate our mind and our heart to what that passage truly means, how it can impact us and shape us and drive us into obedience. And I pray that no one would leave this sermon feeling condemnation, Lord. We would feel hope that you understand our weaknesses and our flaws, you forgive us and you wanna help us. So maybe Lord, if nothing else during this quarantine, uh, lockdown, stay at home, everyone's talking about starting a new habit, starting a new hobby. I pray for your people, Lord, maybe this will be where we start. Say, Lord, give me a renewed, focus on your word. Help me to do this, even if it's going to be imperfectly or clumsily in the beginning. Help me to start small and begin this, this habit of meditating that leads to understanding, that leads to action, that leads to satisfaction. And to not miss the main point that it's all about Christ, that we are actually meditating on the Son of God who came and gave himself for us so that we could, we could become the children of God and be forgiven of our sins and, and know God. I pray all these things in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to have uh, Diane. Yeah, that's yeah. Today. I'm going to have Diane come and do our charge so that we can have as much continuity as we can. And then uh, hope to hear from you. You can go to our website and get all of these sermons eventually uh, or find a link to contact us, find a link to get help, to get counseling. And uh, thank you guys for, for joining us today. Okay. Do you feel loved today, friends? I know I feel loved. Um, know that you are loved by God and by all of us. And if you need prayer this week, please um, shoot us an email or call us. We'd love to, to be able to pray uh, with you and for you. Uh, we have Women Knowing God uh, prayer gathering coming up this week on Tuesday. So all of you ladies, join us on that. And uh, let's say our charge. Ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Love y'all.